This is Green is the New Black, a podcast by Eukos Lisbon. My name is Norman Lammers, bringing today's episode to you from the Fidelidade Studios at Nova. Dear listener, before we jump into this podcast, let me excuse ourselves for the noise caused in the background. Our school has new measures regarding the pandemic and some workers built and placed tables outside the studio. So apologies one more time and I hope you can enjoy this podcast's episode anyways. Today, I'm in the studio with Joanna and Jacob to discuss greenwashing. I will present them a few cases that can be associated with greenwashing and I will let them decide if a case represents sustainable practices or real greenwashing. But remember, these are our own opinions, so you're welcome to do your own research on these topics. So stay tuned, it's going to be controversial. So it's really nice to have you here again, welcome. Hi, nice to be here again. Yeah, thank you for having us, Norman. But before we start the cases and the discussion, tell me, what do you associate with greenwashing, Joanna? Uh, very simply put, greenwashing to me is a marketing tactic that makes brands look more sustainable or more environmentally conscious than they actually are. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, I think, a good point. Do you have anything to add? Yeah, I would say, so in my opinion, greenwashing is when a company or an individual, it doesn't always need to be a company, it can be also somebody like you and me, portrays an action um, as environmentally friendly, even though it is actually not. Um, and also it's about, in my opinion, knowingly disguising the real impact of an action. So when you know it is not environmentally friendly, but you portray it as environmentally friendly or also failing to fact check on claims. So if you put out a fact into the mm -hmm. um, into the public um, and you don't check on what you're claiming and it turns out True. to be wrong, that's also in my opinion greenwashing. Mm. Those are very good points. I, I would like to quote uh, the official uh, definition from Cambridge and here in the dictionary it says behavior or activities that make people believe that a company is doing more to protect the environment than it actually is. So, organization interesting in changing an image, but not interested in... Actually changing. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, I would like to fuel the following discussion with one important um, information, just uh, to give you a little bit of background knowledge. The Federal Trade Commission provides loose guidelines for greenwashing as companies cannot be misleading their claims, but notions such as sustainable, green or environmental friendly are not regulated. But that does not mean that there are no definitions or moral restrictions to it. Uh, yes, and in the EU, the European Commission is actually creating or has already created a taxonomy to understand whether or not an activity is environmental sustain environmentally sustainable. So it provides guidelines and classifications, but it doesn't actually regulate company claims about sustainability. Um, but it's a common ground to evaluate and classify companies and a step in the right direction. 
Perfect. Okay, let's let us jump right into it. The first example I brought to you guys is the following. So we all know the fashion company H&M, right? We all know that they compete in very broad segments targeting the mass market. And one of their main advantages is of course price. In 2019, H&M launched its product line of green clothing titled Conscious. The company claims to use organic cotton and recycled polyester. When looking at H&M Conscious line, its mission states, quote, shop our selection of sustainable fashion pieces that make you both look and feel good, end quote. So as mentioned before, sustainable, green or environmental friendly is not defined by law. So Oikis, is this greenwashing? So to me, uh, this is a classic case of greenwashing. You are basically tricking consumers into thinking you are taking a step in the right direction when actually no real changes are being made towards sustainability. So I think there are a few red flags that you can look out for in companies that do greenwashing. One of them is fl um, fluffy buzzwords with no clear meaning or, or facts backing them up. So this is what we've talked about, things like nature, natural, wellness, pure, sustainable, there are, that are actually not regulated. We also see an overuse of images with themes and colors like green, flower, grass, nature, which you can easily find in their website. And also an emphasis on a tiny bit of the company that may actually be sustainable or at least more sustainable. And so with H&M, you see that they have 400 items out of hundreds of thousands of items that are sustainable. And then finally, no factual information on the website about how exactly the items are produced and why they are better for the environment. In their website, H&M claims that conscious pieces are made, for, are made from at least 50% sustainably sourced materials, but they offer no proof or further information about how or where the cotton is collected and how the clothes are produced. They also have a sustainability report, which is basically just a bunch of buzzwords lacking real information. And the thing is that for a consumer who is not aware of these tricks, um, they would think that H&M is just the holy grail for sustainability, and that is the real problem. Joanna, you have a very strong and very, very critical opinion on this. Uh, I wonder what uh, Jacob is going to say about that. Yeah, I, I firstly think that Joanna brought up a lot of good points and I uh, mostly agree with her. Um, what comes to my mind when looking at the H&M &M case is especially that they focus on organic cotton or recycled mm -hmm. polyester. So, um, so in my opinion, companies should fulfill certain standards in different areas of the product where they can be sustainable. So one area, as we just learned, is material use. So what kind of material they are using, in this case, cotton. And they should also look, look at uh, the resources that are used to make the product. So for instance, the water or the energy that goes into yeah. making that product, how many liters of water is, is used or how much energy um, uh, is used. Um, additionally, you could uh, think about uh, shipping. So 
what the impact of shipping a product from one place to the other adds to the overall um, CO2 footprint. So yeah. I would definitely say you have to look into more areas. And just because H&M does well in one area uh, of sustainability doesn't mean that the overall product is green and that um, allows them to call it sustainable. So I agree, it's, uh, it's greenwashing. Okay. Um, yeah, I agree. I think that organic cotton is a good place to start, but it is not the magic solution. I think that fashion this fast and cheap can never be sustainable. Oh, you really? You, you really think that? Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I do. <laughs> okay. My claim is that fast fashion can be uh, conducted sustainably if all sourcing, all transportation, all the processes that are involved in producing um, one item is CO2, completely CO2 neutral and has no pollution um, in all of the steps. That's my personal uh, yeah, opinion. I, I agree, but then the cost of producing the clothes would actually be a lot higher. So the price would go up, people wouldn't buy it as much, and probably the economies of scale would disappear. Now. Sorry, what? Now, yeah. because yeah, now. Uh, that depends on how the future innovations get uh, implemented on a global scale. Because I claim that in the, in the at least middle-term future, uh, we will achieve CO2 neutrality. But perhaps I am a little bit idealistic on this one. <laughs> yeah, I don't see it, at least in the near future. Mm -hmm. I don't see it. Yeah. Okay. So what do you think is H&M's motivation behind all this? I think it's profit. I think they didn't want to lose the consumers who are shifting priorities into a more sustainable lifestyle. And also they can ask more money for those pieces because people are willing to pay more for an item that is labeled sustainable. Mm -hmm. That's really yeah. profit. Yeah, I would just add, I totally agree. I would add that um, one of their motivations is to improve their image, to appeal to environmentally friendly customers or people that are more interested in um, the environment. So mm -hmm. improve their overall image um, as a motivation. All right, this was already super nice, I think. We had pretty nice uh, discussions, but perhaps Let's discuss another case where you might have opposing opinions on. I would like to discuss the case of the clean diesel engine from Volkswagen, BMW, Chevrolet, Ford, Daimler, etc. So the main issue of the diesel scandal was that cars polluted at levels way over the legal limit. Volkswagen's emissions cheating scandal, in which it admitted to rigging 11 million of its own clean diesels with devices de designed to cheat emissions, may have garnered the most headlines. But several car managers have faced similar allegations in recent years, including BMW, Chevrolet, Ford and Daimler. In the case of Mercedes-Benz, class action plaintiffs alleged that the luxury car makers' blue-tech vehicles which are marketed as clean diesel or earth-friendly, release nitrogen oxide uh, levels more than 65 times higher than what the European Parliament allows. Lawsuits succeeded to get some of the customers refunded, but the actual result of the story was a tremendous reputation damage for the German 
automotive industry. So Jacob, I know you are firm with cars, so I wanted to ask you, is there actually a clean diesel? The claim clean sounds questionable to me. Yes, Norman, you mentioned exactly the right point. Um, in my opinion, at least there is no such thing as a 100% clean diesel or a clean car that is running on diesel. There is always emissions associated with using fossil energy sources, and we're always going to have those emissions around. There might be, however, ways to improve the efficiency of the diesel cars uh, and lowering the emissions by designing the car in a different way, mm -hmm. and designing the engine in a different way to make it more efficient, or by the way the car is used. So if you only drive it at 120 kilometers per hour and not 180, that decreases uh, the amount of CO2 em emitted. But eventually, um, those cars are going to come with emissions um, always. So for me, an environmentally friendly car would be one that both during manufacturing, during the usage uh, of the car and also the end of life, just to name a few areas, mm. causes no emissions at all. For instance, we see that with electric vehicles when they use energy generated from renewable sources that obviously cause um, no emissions um, during the usage stage. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think you made really good points here. Um, in the region I live in Sweden, um, there they are used in their conventional uh, fuel stations a share of 47% of biodiesel. So would you say that combustion engines could be um, clean once they use 100% biodiesel? Yeah, I mean, it's the thing is like, just saying it now, mm -hmm. thing is 40, how many percent? For 47 in the region. 47 is 47 biodiesel, that is true. But you have 53% that comes from another source. Mm -hmm. So in the end, as I said earlier in the other comment, um, there are going to be emissions mm. from fossil fuels, even though you have a high percentage of biodiesel. Um, okay. Okay, Jacob. But one thing that interests me is um, why do companies sell their combustion engines uh, with a clean image? Or why do they at least try? Um, yeah, there's one big reason, reason for that, and that is that the EU uh, set out fines for car manufacturers that sell cars that emit more CO2 than allowed. Mm -hmm. So the threshold is 95 grams of CO2 per kilometer driven, considering the whole fleet of cars that are being sold. So mm -hmm. you don't look at only one car or only one type of car from the manufacturer, but you look at all cars sold in one year, okay. and they on average need to be below 95 grams um, per kilometer emitted. And if they, um, if they go higher than that threshold, they have to pay a lot of, um, a lot of money. Um, and uh, yeah. So it's a purely economic motivation to avoid fines. Exactly. Okay, I think we all agree that the software that is solely designed to cheat the emission balance is fraud and not responsible. So I'm talking about the Volkswagen case. 
Uh, but before I ask the next question, I frankly admit I own a Passat from uh, 2008, a Volkswagen Passat, which has a much higher nitrogen oxide uh, emission uh, than on paper, I confess. <laughs> <laughs> What can companies do instead of betrayal? Yeah, they can do many things, to be, to be um, frank. And they're not easy to, to say that from the very start, but I think what they can start with is researching and developing new, less carbon-intense technologies mm -hmm. that power the cars. We talked about that in the last episode already. Um, in this case, we're talking about electric cars and hydrogen. Electric cars are a little further down the road in mm -hmm. terms of having been developed. We see them on the streets now. We don't see any hydrogen cars. So I think there is a lot of development and a lot of research that can be still done um, to, to get the cars out to the public, make them um, more like the current uh, combustion engine cars. Yeah. So if those cars are powered by renewable energy, they could have uh, zero emissions, zero, zero two, CO2 emissions. And um, thus companies wouldn't need to cheat when it comes to um, to emissions. Now that's, as I said, easier said than done. And it requires huge investments into technologies that will probably all first sell well in five to 10 years from now. And obviously not today. So this will impact the profitability of companies today very much, but might pay off in the future. So then I think there's real incentives for all the big uh, OEMs out there to invest because it's going to pay off in the future. But at the same time, I see that it's not delivering profits right now. So that's why some in the past years held back on investing a lot of money, but now see that it is really an issue we want to um, tackle and invest more. Those are brilliant points, Jacob. So thank you for that. Uh, I totally love the discussion we are having right now. And I would love to go through one final case. Uh, which is kind of personal to me, I would say. I'm talking about eco-shaped bottled water. So eco-friendly bottled water campaigns focused around the Earth Day. For example, Poland Springs, this is a firm that belongs to Nestlé Waters, claims that its bottled water is green because of a special eco-shaped bottle design. What is an eco-shaped Exactly. According to Poland Springs, and I quote, as part of our ongoing effort to reduce our environmental footprint, we redesigned our new bottle and cap to contain 30% less plastic than our original bottle. End quote. Okay, let's be honest. When was the last time you bought bottled water? For me, it was seven months ago in Sweden when I had a burger and I don't like Coke or any fizzy drinks, uh, so I ordered bottled water. <laughs> um, I actually, I can't even remember. I will buy a bottled water if I, if I don't bring my own reusable, uh, but it's not common at all. I always bring my water bottle everywhere, so I don't have to buy plastic water bottle. Yeah, similar for me. So the only time that I can remember was like two months ago when I arrived here in Lisbon and I didn't bring any bottle. I obviously went to the supermarket and bought a, um, a water 
bottle, but I quickly switched to those eco bottles that they sell here at Pingodos. So um, uh, I, I mostly f refill the bottles. Okay. Yeah. In the beginning of our studies, we got um, a glass bottle. And that was a project that was um, urged by the Oikos team, which is quite nice. And I'm thank you, thankful for this bottle. And I'm really using this at our water dispenser. So that's very nice. And um, it's so easy to act responsibly in that sense. It is. I think even with tap water, the EU has shown with several studies that it's safe. It's yeah. We can drink it basically everywhere in the European Union, at least, but you know, in the most developed countries. So there's really no reason to buy a plastic water bottle. Yeah. Would you consider eco-friendly bottled water as greenwashing? And why would you? This is actually an interesting uh, case because I'm not sure if it actually fits into the greenwashing category. Okay. So it's clear that, like I said, buying plastic water bottles is unsustainable and hardly an eco-friendly purchase. But I don't think that the company is trying to trick consumers into thinking they are sustainable. Like I said, if you ever forget your water bottle at home and you really have to buy one, maybe it's better to buy one from this company or another one that tries to reduce their carbon footprint than buying a regular plastic water bottle. Okay. Jacob, would you agree to Joanna's comments or do you have an opposing opinion on that? I actually agree. I don't think it is greenwashing since the company undertook efforts to achieve a tangible reduction mm -hmm. of the amount of plastic that they use. So they say 30% less plastic, that's tangible, and they achieved it. So they actually uh, reduced the amount of plastic and made a, a, a more eco-friendly product. The statement about eco-friendly bottled water, however, is difficult because, in my opinion, it's very misleading because it, it tells the consumers that they're consuming a more eco-friendly water even though the water itself is not eco-friendly. What I want to say here is that there still are bottles being produced that are going to end up as waste. And there would be a better alternative if they, for instance, produced a bottle that can be reused more often, mm. um, that you can refill. Um, that would lead to even less waste. So I think it is kind of misleading in the sense that they say eco-friendly, even though you could go even more yeah, friendly. Yeah, but I also think you could go even lower. So I have some examples of companies that sell um, bottled water that I think are actually doing greenwashing. So one of them is hmm. boxed water is better. I don't know if you've heard of it, but they basically sell packaged water in a carton. And it seems great at first, but the problem is that the carton is made of paper on the outside, but inside it contains a plastic lining. And this is the same thing with uh, Nova coffee paper cups. So they're made of paper on the outside, but a plastic lining on the inside. Mm -hmm. So they end up on the non-recycling bin. And so I guess my point is that I'm not sure if it wouldn't be more sustainable to get a plastic item that as far as you're concerned, will be recycled or a half paper, half plastic item that will most likely end up in the landfill or at the bottom of the ocean. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So your biggest concern is the material mix? Yes. Uh, I, mm. Like I said, avoid buying uh, if you can, but if you have to buy, 
try to make it like recyclable. So I, I just, I don't think that boxed water is better, mm -hmm. is as sustainable as they claim to be. Yeah, okay. and also about that you have processes in place that recycle the bottles. So in the end, if you're buying a bottle of water and you put it into some sort of dispenser and it is recycled properly, that is even better. Yeah. So I totally agree with your point that there's different levels of recyclability and that bottled water is not necessarily bad. It can be good if it's if it has the right processes. Yes. And I also have another example, which is Fiji water. So this one you've probably heard of. Yeah, I know the case. <laughs> they create this image of eco-friendly and when in reality, they're just another company that sells water in a plastic bottle that takes years to decompose. Um, and, and then the problem is that it needs to be sh uh, shipped from Fiji to other places around the world. So you have that added concern. And then in the meanwhile, the World Health Organization estimates that 47% of Fijians don't have access to safe drinking water. Mm. So that's something to consider. Yeah, this is this is a highly problematic uh, case, and the case we are originally talking of is definitely um, as bad as this one. So thank you for your input, uh, Joanna. So following this discussion, it really seems that we have learned something today, right? Uh, what's your resume from today, Jacob? Yeah, so my resume is that customers should really question the claims of the companies. So do research and assess for yourself. And also when evaluating if a product or a service is environmentally friendly uh, or more environmentally friendly than uh, another product, you should look at more than just one aspect of the product, um, but rather the whole product life cycle. And one thing I also want to stress is that maybe in the future, independent organizations can help on certifying products to be environmentally friendly so that no company can just put out claims uh, that are not true and say they're green or they're environmentally friendly, even though they're not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I think more regulation is needed both in the greenwashing uh, claims, so companies claiming that they're sustainable, and also forcing companies to reduce their CO2 footprint. But I actually wanted to leave this on a more positive note and offer some solutions for people that are listening and maybe feeling lost on what to do. Uh, in the, the fashion sector in particular, which is one of the most unsustainable, there is an app I really like, it's called Good On You. And basically, you can look for fashion companies and the app will tell you how the company ranks in three areas, um, labor, so working conditions, environment and uh, animal concerns. And they will also show you similar brands that are more sustainable to the one that you're uh, looking at. Uh, so this is one way. There are others like there's uh, some um, marketplace websites like Maytrade and um, uh, black and green, and also Earth Hero that they sell anything from sustain from sustainable fashion to sustainable uh, home decor. Uh, one thing that I would be careful about, though, is that a lot of these companies are based in the U.S. or Australia, so the shipping impact might actually outweigh the positive impact. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing to be careful about. 
brilliant uh, summaries from you both, and thank you for your, for the recommendations, Joanna. Greenwashing to me feels like a cause of distraction to the customers um, that might confuse the organization's image with actual responsibility, and I think this is a threat. Um, Stronger regulations that secure notions such as sustainability or environmental friendly and so on and so forth would be most helpful, I would argue. And of course, real responsibility by the companies, but also by the customers, uh, would be the ultimate goal. So, Jacob and Joanna, it was a pleasure to host you today. And thank you for your brilliant participation. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks, man. Dear listener, we have our first external guest very soon. So stay tuned for the next episode. And sorry one more time for the noises created by the workers outside of the studios. Really sorry, the next episode is going to be better audio quality. That was Green is the New Black. Thank you for listening. We see you in the next one.